the Lord would lead. But in the second Psalm, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall He speak to them in His wrath and vex them in His sore displeasure. Maybe that's all we'll read for now. If the Lord would help us to get on down through this, maybe we'll look and see how far we would be led or go. So this scripture, first of all, this is quoted of the apostles in the book of Acts, chapter number 4. They're taken there. Peter, James, and John are preaching the gospel, and Peter and John are taken by the authorities, by the Pharisees, by the Sanhedrin, they're scourged and beaten and they're told to no longer preach in the name of the Lord Jesus. And as they come back to the church, the church begins to pray. And, and in their prayer, they quote this scripture, Acts 4 verse 25, Who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? So in verse 27 we can see how that applies. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. So this was true in, in David's day, as David penned this down, according to my Bible, uh, 1,047 years B.C. So 1,050 or so years before Jesus was born, the heathen were raging. You know, I believe we can go all the way back, and you can see in Noah's day, I believe the heathen were raging against God. I believe you could see in, in Abraham's day. I believe you could see uh, in David in many different ways. In the Lord Jesus' day, and really all through history, this has been the, the pattern of man, and it's no different today. Very fitting for today. The heathen and those that, uh, the, the word here applies to the Gentiles, those that are outside of the kingdom of God. And what they do is they rage. That's a tumultuous gathering. And that's a means that the devil uses to stir man up to more and more evil and more and more rebellion. If you just got one or two, they may run their mouth for a minute, but you know you get a crowd and a mob together and they play off of each other and they stir one another up and the, the rage, the tumult grows and grows. But notice what he says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? I believe we could say this, we know why they rage in a sense of their motivation. They're blinded by the devil. And the prince of the power of the air is guiding their thoughts and their actions and their rebellion against the truth of God. I don't believe that's what he's saying. But what good is it that they rage? Who are they raging against? 
I, I believe Paul said in Acts as he preached at Mars Hill that this God, the unknown God that they had an altar to, he said, I'd like to declare him to you. This is the God that created the worlds. This is the God that spoke them into existence and the God that by his power and by his hand all things consist. You get on down in there and it's in him, in this God and in his power that we live and move and have our being. This God that's in control and over absolutely everything that you can lay your eyes on and see and touch and everything that can't be seen and can't be touched, this God is the supreme authority. And, you know, we are His creation. And we live and we move and we talk and communicate and are able to do that because God has granted us that ability. And at any moment, God, God could take that, could He not? Could God not justly take that from us, even taking our life from us? You know, I, I have no say in when I leave this world. God set those bounds. God determined my day. It's already been determined. God's in control of these things. And so here the heathen are raging and they're imagining a vain thing. Now that word means empty or worthless. So what are they imagining? Well, they're imagining let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. You know what they'd like? You know what man would like? You can look at this, the world as a whole, the United States as a whole. You could bring it down to our communities, to our family members, and people that's grown up and in and right around the church. You know what man wants? The restriction of God off of his life. Man wants to break his cords and his bands from them. You know, the only thing now that's keeping this world from complete chaos and destruction is the power of God. And even though we see the heathen rage, we see them have a fit, we see the evil that goes on, but friends, if, if God didn't withhold and prevent by His power, what ends would man go to? Would it not be much worse? I mean, God is preventing and withholding a lot of the evil that, that would be if He did not prevent and withhold. But man says, I'd, I'd like to get... God's Word off of me. That's what man would like today. Man would like to hush the preaching. Man would like to close the book and never read it or hear from it again. Man would like to shut the doors to the church. And the reason is that, that I could do as I pleased and there would be nobody and nothing that would make me feel bad about the way I'm living and the way I'm doing. That there would be nothing that would convict or convince me that what I'm doing is wrong and that I'm living in sin. Man would like to have the liberty and freedom from the restriction of the Word of God. Really, man would like to get rid of the knowledge of sin. Ain't that something? That's what the devil tempted Eve with in the beginning, you'll be like God and know what good and evil 
really is. And now man would like to get rid of the knowledge of good and evil so that he could fully run after evil and never be bothered by that. But in their imagining, now they, they think, well, we'll, we'll dethrone this God. We'll get rid of His Word. It won't apply to us. And when we get rid of that, we will be free. And, and notice who's doing this. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. You know, in Moses' day, when Korah and all of those men rose up against Moses and Aaron, against the order that God had put in place and set, and they began to rebel against Moses and against God, you know what they were? That wasn't the, the off-scouring. That wasn't the poor and the homeless people that was there, but that was the, the princes and the chief men of the congregation. It was the great men that rebelled. And as we look, you know, you, you look on our side, and my God, how few people that's in any power authority are on our side, are for the Word of God. Everywhere you look, people are setting themselves against God and against His anointed, and we're going to legalize, and we're going to make good, and we're going to call good, and we're going uh, to put our approval on everything that's contrary to the Word of God, and we're going to do away with any restraint that God would have upon our life. But how, how vain is it now that here I am, and the only reason I'm alive is that God's been merciful and give me life today. Who am I to think I'm going to dethrone Him? I'm going to dethrone God who's giving me what I have. Uh, that would put Him in a position far above me or my ability. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 21, God says, Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. He says in Isaiah, don't say a confederacy. Don't come together in rebellion against God and, and think because the numbers are so great. The devil uses numbers. And he, like, he would like to intimidate us. He would like to bring us to a place of, well, we're so outnumbered today, we don't stand a chance of ever having any victory. They, they rage and they're so loud. And ain't it the truth today? As you would look, at our country today, who do you always hear making the racket? It's always them that's contrary to the truth. You don't, you don't hear from anybody that's standing for the truth. And if you do, it's so that they can make fun and deride and cast down. And you know, it, it's like Elisha's servant as they surrounded the city and they said, we're going to take the man of God captive. And Elisha prayed for his servant. His servant was afraid. He was looking at the enemy while we're outnumbered. It's just me and you. How are we going to stand against this multitude? And Elisha said, prayed and said, Lord, show him what's on our side. And the Lord opened his eyes and there were chariots of fire all on the mountains round about. And you think about Gideon now. Gideon took a hundred men 
against the army that looked like grasshoppers in the valley. There was a multitude of them. I tell you the numbers. The devil would like to intimidate you and discourage you with the numbers, but the amount of people mean absolutely nothing to God Almighty. If one angel in a moment, in one evening, can destroy 185,000 of Sennacherib's army, could he not do the same today? I tell you, man looks at the numbers and they think, well, we've got the majority. We're going to join up against this God and we're going to dethrone Him from His power and we're going to bring about a revolt against His government and against His law and against His word and we've seen revolts work in the natural world. Well, what's God going to do? Is He going to destroy us all? God can't destroy us all. You reckon that's what they said in Noah's day? I mean, Noah's the only one. What's God going to do? Destroy everybody? There's no way. We'll band together and we'll resist God. And God indeed destroyed everybody. So don't say a confederacy and don't, don't imagine a vain thing. My God, how empty, how foolish, how worthless a thought that I'm going to somehow take God's authority from Him and replace Him as being the decider of what's good and what's evil. That I'm going to loose the cords of God from off my life and I'm going to live separate from Him. If, if I come untied from God, I'm a dead man because it's Him that's giving that life. So He says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Is God worried about the rebellion of the world? Now think about that. Is God worried when He sees the numbers gather together? When they're going to burn down a city, does God take fear that His life is in danger? Is God worried that His authority is in question? Is God worried that that they're going to vote him out of his place. Absolutely not. The Bible says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. So that word there, it means to deride. To speak unintelligibly as mocking a foreigner. So they're running their mouth and God's mocking their speech. Now I realize that's a picture for me. But I tell you the Lord, He's not moved in the least bit by the rebellion and the hardness of man. God's power is not reduced in the least bit. I don't add nothing to God's power and I can't take nothing away from God's power. God was God in the beginning. God was God in Abraham's day. God was God in David's day. God was God in Jesus' day. And He's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. He'll always be God. His power will never go down. And though the whole world would rebel against Him, God can quickly dispatch of everyone. Could He not? We, We do believe that that day of judgment and wrath against the ungodly is coming. That day's coming. That in, in a day, in a moment, God's going to destroy this place and those that are dead 
are going to be brought before Him in judgment. So, He that setteth in the heavens shall laugh. Then shall He speak to them in His wrath and vex them in His sore displeasure. That word vex, to tremble inwardly, to cause alarm. God's able... Now, if you're saved, God did this for you as you were living here. God opened your eyes, as we said this morning, and He caused us to tremble inwardly. And we feared His Word, and we feared His judgment, and the truth, we feared our guilt before His face. God says that day's coming upon all. You know, I I can remember, and maybe this would sound silly, but I can remember one time as a young man, not saved, and at this time knew that I wasn't saved, laying in the bed, about 6 o'clock in the morning, there come a thunderclap, and and I woke up, and it was just thunder. But I woke up and thought, the Lord's come back. What am I going to do? It was nothing. It was thunder. But you know, that that fear was there just at a a clap of thunder. You know, when, when the Lord comes back now, when the trump sounds, and the Lord Himself, not an angel, but the Lord Himself splits the eastern sky and comes back in judgment, you talk about a day of fear and trembling. There will be no rebellion in that day. There will be no standing up against God in that day. There will be no questioning His authority in that day. The truth is, it's because God is long-suffering and merciful that it's allowed to go on today. But God will bring an end to every bit of it. That day is coming. He will speak to them in His wrath and vex them in His sore displeasure, burning anger. You think God's angry? I tell you, the book says that God is angry with the wicked every day. The devil says God's not taking notice anymore. God's really not watching all that close as to what goes on. And the world's gaining power. Sin looks like it's taking over. Looks like God's power's being decreased and His name's being drugged through the mud. And the devil says God's going down. We're going to bring God down and we're going to set ourselves up. We're going to build ourselves a tower of Babel and we're going to reach heaven. We're going to take over. And God confused their language and dispersed them. They never got close. Man's not going to get close to God. You need not fear that. And you can rest in this as well, that God is in control of everything. And so he says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So you think about this scripture as Peter and John and the apostles and the early church was praying this scripture. They said they they certainly did this to Jesus. And did they not? That Herod and that Pilate and that all the, the government there in that area of Rome and the Roman soldiers and centurions, and all of the Sanhedrin, all of the the high-ranking Jews 
of that religion and all of the people of Israel, they all came together against the Lord there that day, didn't they? On that first Good Friday, there was the world, there was religion, there was the government, there was all authority and they were there against the Lord Jesus and they said, we're going to kill this man and we're going to get rid of him We're going to get rid of his teaching. We're going to get rid of his authority. We're going to disperse the church and we will not have to put up with them anymore. And that was their thought, wasn't it? But you know, that was being wrought. As he says in that prayer in Acts chapter 4, this was already determined of your counsel. You know why they did that? Because God saw fit to order that to happen. They crucified the Lord. Now what good did that do them? Did they loosen His Word? Did they get rid of the church? Here we are 2,000 years later, nearly, from the day they hung the Lord on the cross. Have they got rid of the church? Did they cause the gospel to cease? Did they get rid of the name of the Lord Jesus? Is He any less God today? No, on the third day He rose up and the Bible says, Yet have I set my King... I tell you, the Lord, the Lord works in spite of what I do. They said, we're not going to have this man to rule over us. I'm not going to let him be my king. We're going to crucify him and get rid of him. And God worked in spite of man and established the Lord Jesus, though he was rejected of the builders, though he was rejected of the kings and the governors and the rulers, though he was rejected even of the religious people, God took that stone that the builders rejected and made him the head of the corner. And man says, we're not going to have this man to rule over me. And God said, he's going to rule over you whether you like it or not. So God now, God works in spite of what I think and of what anybody else says about it. God doesn't gather together a council and we advise him on what needs to be done. God's already planned it all from before the foundation of the world. So he set my king upon the holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. Now he's not going out and campaigning and asking for votes. But I'm going to declare the decree. I'm going to tell what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell what I've said. Does God care what the people say? Does God care if the majority don't want Him to be the king? Does God care if everybody's going to rebel against Him? Is God saying, look, let's have us a town hall and let's get everybody's opinion and then we'll put our heads together and make a decision. God said, I've made Jesus to be the king and I'm going to declare what I've done. You know, that's what we're doing today. We're not declaring what man's done. This was a work that God done to bring redemption to them that were lost and undone in spite of man. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Now what could change that? That the Lord Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. Could anything change that? Could them crucifying Him change who Jesus was? What could you do to me? 
that would cause me to cease of being Larry and Darlene's son. Even if you kill me, I'm going to die the son of Larry and Darlene Huntsinger. That can't be, you can't take that from me. So the Lord, He's the Son of God. He's declared to be the Son of God. And He's set as the King by God Himself. And man cannot change that. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. God says, I'm going to give him everything. And we say, well we can stop him from taking over. You know, God did something very similar to this in the Old Testament. God brought up a king down in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And God said, I'm going to give every person, I'm going to give every beast, I'm going to give every nation, and I'm going to give every people under the authority of Nebuchadnezzar. And God told Jerusalem... He said, you can bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar and live, or you can rebel and he's going to kill you. But nothing's going to change. He's going to rule over you no matter what you do. You know, that's what the gospel says. That we can come to the Lord Jesus in mercy and we can seek forgiveness and we can live as him our king. Or we can rebel and and be angry and try to buck the word of God and kick against the sun, and we can be destroyed. So God brought Nebuchadnezzar in. He began to take property. He began to take nations. He began to destroy armies. Why was he, why was he so victorious? Because God gave him everything. And Jerusalem and the king at Jerusalem, he said, we're not, we're not going to serve him. We'll, we'll whoop him out. We'll fortify the walls. We'll bring the army inside the gates. We'll set up and we'll fight him off. And he destroyed Jerusalem. Their army and their struggle and their fight did nothing against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar took it. Well, the Lord says, I'm going to give this to my son no matter what. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You believe that's going to happen. You believe God's going to bring judgment and destruction. You think that even the heathen is going to bow before the Son of God in His wrath and in His judgment. I mean, we've got plenty of Bible to back that up. It even is explicitly stated in Philippians that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And that's quoted out of the Old Testament. So we know this, that he's going to be the king, even as that parable there, where he gave the pounds to his servants. And there was a number of them that threw the pound down and said, we're not going to have this man to rule over us. But you know, he came back as the king and he said, those mine enemies that said I wasn't going to rule over them, bring them and destroy them before me. See, this lovey-dovey God that's never angry and there's never any wrath, that's all you hear about today. That's the God that people have in their mind. That's not the God that the Bible teaches. 
God is a God of wrath. He is a consuming fire. He's a God of terror and of fear. And Paul says, looking at this judgment that's to come and knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men because this day of judgment is coming and no matter what I do with the Word of God here, I'm going to bow to Him. No matter how hard I rebel or no matter how much I try to hide, it's not going to change anything. He's going to be God either way. You know what's going to be affected is where I'm at in His kingdom. I can either be near Him and be a part of His family in mercy and in grace and in love or I can be with the heathen here that He takes a rod of iron and dashes them in pieces in anger and in wrath. But I tell you this, He's unchanged either way. He's God and He's the King no matter what that I do with His Word. This this Word of God's for me. It's to warn me. It's to bring me to Him. So He says, Be wise now therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. So be wise, be circumspect, and be intelligent. You know, to be circumspect, to pay attention to all the details, and to take everything into account as we make a decision. When we're going to be making a a big decision, naturally speaking, we'd like to be circumspect. Take everything into account before we make this decision. Let's, Let's be sure that what we're doing is the right thing. Well, that's what God's saying to the kings and to the rulers and to those that would rebel against God and His authority. Be circumspect about it now, O kings, and be instructed. That word means to chastise or to correct. Be corrected in your thinking because though you join together and though you and whoever else are going to rebel against God, know that God's authority's not been diminished. Know that God's power's not been changed. And just because I say, you're not my king, that doesn't change the fact that he's my king. He is the king. And he will bring judgment. Now, seeing this, what would be the wise thing to do? What do you think the wise thing to do would be? Seeing that, no matter what I do, he still has all power and authority. Seeing that, no matter what I do, I'm not going to escape him. Seeing that, no matter what I do, I'm still accountable to God. And if I'm going to rebel against him, I'm going to be dashed and broken into pieces with a rod of iron in his judgment and in his wrath, what would be the circumspect decision for me to make? Would it be a good idea to rebel? Would it be a good idea to close my ears and say, I I don't want any part of that gospel? No, I I tell you, he's saying be corrected. Realize that you're, you're rebelling against a God That's going to destroy you. What you're doing is, as Paul says uh, in Corinthians, I believe, you're treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath and judgment. You're treasuring up and you're laying up the anger and the wrath of God. That word sore displeasure in verse 5, that's the burning anger of God. Realize 
that God is angry with sin and with ungodliness and God's going to bring swift judgment upon all those that are under sin. I tell you, it'd be a wise thing to repent, would it not? What is the wise thing? Well, he's going to tell us, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. You know how I ought to look to God with fear. Now, that word fear, that can be taken wrong. It's not fear as an abusive daddy and I'm afraid he's going to black my eye. If my boys fear me like that, then that's wrong. But if they ought to fear me though, shouldn't they? They ought to fear that dad's the authority. What he says is the rule and if I don't do as he commands, I'm going to be punished for that. That reverential fear. That's what he's saying here about God. Not that I'm afraid he's going to whop me in the head and black my eye every time I do wrong, but to revere him and to respect him and to respect his authority, realize his power and move with fear as he would speak. Now, if, if we revere, if they revere me, then you would expect when I say something to them that they listen and they do. Wouldn't you say that'd be fair? And if I can speak, you've all seen this, I can speak three times and they never pay any attention and never do anything. Wouldn't you say it'd be safe to say that there's no reverence there? That, that, would, be, that would be true, I believe. So what about then with God? If I hear the Word of God and I'm warned by God and God corrects me in my thinking and there's never any movement towards Him, there's never any obedience, there's never any coming to what God says, is, is there really any reverence for God? No, I, it's a sham. So much of it is a show and a sham and hypocrisy. It's an act put on for people. But I tell you, if there was fear there would be moving towards God and rejoice with trembling. So we do rejoice. We rejoice in the salvation of our God and in the redemption that He's provided for us. But I tell you how we rejoice with that reverential fear and respect realizing that it was only the graciousness of the King that brought us here. It's not a boasting and a proud of self and of me and an exalting of me, but it's rejoicing with fear and with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. So it's, it's just like what Jesus says to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see. So in that statement, Except that word implies that being born again is a necessity in order to see the kingdom of God. Well, here, kissing the Son is the necessity unless God's going to be angry with me. If I do not come to the Son, then I can't expect God to be angry, and I can expect that I will perish from the way 
when his wrath is kindled but a little. Not a great wrath. You know, what we saw in Noah's day, that was a, that was a great destruction. But you know, that was mixed with mercy then. Even then, there was mercy mixed with judgment. But to those that step out of this world unprepared, my God, what, what's judgment going to be like where there is no mercy and there's no compassion and man is cast out of the presence of the Lord into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and fire that will never be quenched. So how do I escape that? By kissing the Son. I come to the Son of God that the Lord gave as sacrifice for my sins. By coming to Him and entrusting Him for my salvation, I can receive the goodness of God. But outside of the Son, it doesn't matter what we've done or what we can claim to our name. Outside of the Son, God's going to be angry with me. Remember the law? We talked about the law this morning. How that the letter killeth. There's no way we can please God by the law. We're already dead by the law. The, the judgment is already over our head. Well, there we go. Outside of the sun is the law. And under the law, we're going to perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in Him. That word blessed, it means how happy. It's an exclamation. How happy are all they that put their trust to flee for protection or to confide in Him. So then, those that are outside of the Son, they're going to face the judgment. But those that would flee to Him for protection, those that recognize the authority of God, those that recognize His judgment and His anger, those that recognize that they do not have the, 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 what's required in order to stand before God and be just, what they do is they, they run to the Lord Jesus and they confide in Him and they hide in Him for refuge. And He is as Noah built an ark for refuge from the storm in his day. Jesus Christ is the ark of refuge from the storm of hellfire and brimstone and the wrath of God that's yet to come. And all of those that are going to be happy now, and how happy, an exclamation. I tell you, if we're going to be happy at the end of this life, it's going to be because we have confided and ran to the Lord Jesus for refuge. Outside of Him, it's eternal sorrow, eternal regret, eternal fear, eternal worry, and eternal wrath from God Almighty on our lives. Now, where, what happiness did the rich man have as he lifted his eyes in hell? Was there any redeeming quality in hell? He was burning the flame. He was tormented in the flame. He was thirsty. 
his mouth was parched and he wanted one drip of that water. And not only that, not only is he burning and in torment physically, not only is his body dying of thirst and his mouth is parched, but also he's looking back at when he was alive and he's saying, Lord, I've got brothers that are coming to this place. I've got brothers that are going to be here. And he's worrying and he's fearful and he knows that his life has led him to that place and he's tormented in the body. He's tormented in the mind and he's tormented in the soul. There's no happiness in the wrath and destruction of God. So God says here, be corrected. Be wise. Be circumspect. Realize what's laying out there in the future and may God help us while there's opportunity. Let us reconcile with our enemy in the way because the day of judgment and wrath is coming. Why, preacher, the heathen's going to win. At any moment, God can end the heathen. And at any moment, God can end me. And God could end you. So what's, what's the answer then of the Word of God about what I ought to do? I ought to flee to the Son for refuge. I'm in danger. Outside of Jesus, I'm in danger. You see that everybody on the ark there... Now I would imagine that there was people that lived in proximity to the ark and maybe they said, well, we live so close that when it starts, we'll be able to get in. And maybe there was people that was far away from the ark, and they said, ah, we ain't ain't worried about it in the least bit. And as we look at it, we say, well, you know, those far off, they're in a lot more danger than those that are close. But that wasn't true, was it? You know, that ark went shut, and those that were close were shut out just as much as those that were far what does God say? God says now is the accepted time. Now, not today, now. Not later on this evening, now. As God would work and as God would draw, now's the time for me to come to the Son and to look to Him for refuge from the judgment and wrath of God that is to come. Wow, preacher, we'll rebel against Him. The heathen will not stand in the day of judgment. One more place and, and we'll hush. I promise I'm not going to be long tonight. In Revelation 17, I believe you can see this very thing. Now there's a lot of symbolism in Revelation. I, I realize that. And I don't claim to know everything. But I believe there's some things that's easier for me to see and interpret than there are others. Well, we've got the nations of the earth here in Revelation 17. And the God's truth is all nations. They're at war against the Lamb. Verse 13. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb shall overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with Him are called chosen and faithful. Does it sound like there's any question as to the outcome of this struggle? So when the devil says he's pulling ahead, know that he's lying. 
it's a lie. Just remember when Lot looked down towards Sodom and he saw the well-watered plains and it, it looked like a good land and a fine place to raise a family. You know what every bit of that was? It was ever bit a lie. The devil had painted a lie for him to see. Well, as you think the devil's pulling ahead or the devil's got a toehold here, realize this, it's a lie. The lamb shall overcome. And who's going to overcome with him? Those that are called chosen and faithful. Who is that? That's the church of the living. That is those that in Psalm 2 have ran to the Lord for refuge. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill His will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. So whose will is being done here? Now they've destroyed the whore, the Babylon, these sea that they were on. That's the multitudes of nations and tongues and people all across the face of the earth. All of these nations are given power to the beast. And who's in control of all of it? Why? I, I had a Jehovah Witness try to tell me one time the devil's in control of this world. Well, I beg to differ. That's not what the Bible says. But the Bible says God hath put in their hearts to fulfill His will. You know that even the heathen are fulfilling God's will. You believe that? i tell you what I read. I believe it was Abraham. I believe that's right. He didn't let Abraham go because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. I believe is the way that reads. And so here, yeah, they're rebelling. But God's put in their hearts to fulfill His will until the words of God shall be fulfilled. How long's the world got? Till God says it's over. Man's got no saying in that. You realize that? Man's got no saying when God comes back. God's not waiting on me to pick the perfect day. He's not waiting on me to go to some country and then God's going to come back. God is coming back at His time and according to His will. So who's got power? How much power does man have? None? Law, what, what do you reckon we ought to do then? We ought to run to the Lamb of God for refuge, lest we be destroyed. That's all that's on our heart. Anybody?